Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 67th interview, I'm happy to say we have artist Pam Weingarten from North Carolina. If you want to check out her website, please go and visit PamelaWeingart.com. Check it out. Again, Pamela's work explores a variety of different series and subject matters and deal a lot with the materiality of what she's working with, a lot of encaustic, fabric transfers, drawing, painting, and again, we really delve into how she sets that up and the ways that she thinks about it in her studio practice. So please enjoy this interview. Of course, if you've never heard of Studio Break, we are a podcast and blog site that feature a variety of different interviews with artists. We share their work. And again, you can conveniently scroll through that on the Studio Break page. Again, we have a number of images there. You can link to the artist's website and check it out. You can use the default player right there to listen on Studio Break or you can go and follow those links to iTunes and subscribe to the Studio Break podcast. Again, we've got tons of interviews, a lot of different artists to check out, so please go ahead and do that. You can easily do that going through the archive feature right on the left sidebar, go month by month. Again, we've been on for a number of years, so there's a lot of interviews, so check them out, digest them. Once again, if you want to find out more about Studio Break, you can also like our Facebook page. Again, we provide updates to some of the guests that we're coming up, show announcements from past guests, exhibition opportunities, things like that. So please like us there. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. Thankfully, that's all I have right now. Pamela Weingard is coming up, so stay tuned. Well, welcome to Studio Break. I'm happy to be joined this afternoon by Pam Weingart. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm I'm good. You know, uh, we've been trying to figure this out, and I'm glad that we finally did because um, it'll be it'll be fun to talk to you a bit about your work and and learn more about it. So, where are you speaking with us from? I, I currently live in North Carolina in Matthews, which used to be its own little town, but now has ended up being a suburb of the Charlotte area. Okay, okay. And you teach out there as well? I do. I um, I have sort of a permanent part-time gig, which suits me just fine, at Wingate University, which is a private university about 30 minutes east of here. And um, it gives me a chance to teach, which I really like to do um, a couple times a week for the whole day. And the rest of the time I spend in the studio. And did you grow up out there in the the east coast or sort of i'm very eclectic background i've lived a little on the northwest of the united states the northeast the south and i spent some time in europe about eight years so so was was art making something that you were drawn to you know from an early age yes i was i was drawn to it from an early age it was uh i remember i had this vivid memory of when i was about six years old drawing a horse for my grandmother who probably hung it on her refrigerator. And I never strayed from um, my primary love, which is to draw. And so um, I, I, it's, it's like most artists who are passionate about what they do. It's, it's like breathing. I can't, if I stay away from it too long, my husband knows because I become completely bitchy and he's like, <laughs> go to the studio. Um, so it's really important. And it's something that I, it's, it's, it, it, intimate part of my life. Now, there are times when I have not been able to do it because I've had an eclectic career. I spent some time in the service, um, active duty, and I spent some time working for the government, and I'm a non-traditional student and bubbled up that way. So um, I had a family that was young. I have, between my husband and I, we have six kids. So there have been times when I have not been able to do painting because my three-year-old gets in there and throws ink all over everything. Or, right, right. 
but um, I'll do something creative to sort of feed that habit that I have. Um, but in the last 10, 12 years now, I've had a practicing professional studio and I've been teaching and um, been working very hard with my practice and producing work and looking for venues and getting venues. So it's, it's been a, a real um, integral part of my existence for the last decade or so. In terms of, uh, I guess, a formal art education, was, was that something, where did you wind up going to school? And um, could you kind of give us a little bit of a background on, on that information as well? Sure. Um, because I was uh, either working with the government or my husband was working with the government, um, I sort of piecemealed my first two years of my um, undergraduate work and ended up um, spending the last two years full-time at Framingham State University in Massachusetts, um, which has an extremely good art program for a liberal arts school. And uh, that's where I got my bachelor's of, um, of art in painting and graphic design. And then I spent, because of being practical, I spent time um, the last 15, 16, 17 years in advertising and marketing and graphic design. And while I was in that um, career path, I ended up getting an MBA in um, business administration. Mm-hmm. And um, that took me into more strategic marketing and sort of the business, uh, anal, creative world that you can get sucked into. And when my uh, husband got transferred down here to Charlotte, um, the position wasn't available for me, and I sort of fell into teaching at one of the for-profit schools down here called the Art Institute of Charlotte. And that's when everything sort of kicked into play, and um, I started to teach art Um, I got a studio, I started to uh, learn and practice something that I've always wanted to be actively involved in, and that led to me getting my MFA from Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina in 2011. It sounds like then there's that that pragmatic side to, you know, working uh, in in graphic design or or having a a practical kind of application to it. Was that that something that was, um, I guess, a, a concern in terms of pursuing it as a... I guess a career from the start or, or, yeah, it was, it was a concern only because, um, I had married young and I had young children and it was, um, it was important for me as a, as a, you know, woman who bubbled up, um, from the seventies and eighties to be sort of financially independent or at least, um, to apply myself in that way and not just be at home. And I had that weird, you know, cognitive dissonance thing going on and and um and so I used that as a launching platform for doing lots of creative things but it was very I worked for the government in that regard and I worked for large corporations which traditionally are very conservative so I didn't get a chance to really pursue or uh, sort of break open from that and be um as wildly free as I am right now. And mm-hmm. my kids are now gone and are, are grown. My youngest just went off to college and just this past year. But in the last 10 years or so, I've sort of given myself permission to accept the fact that pursuing fine arts, you know, I didn't put quotations about that, but pursuing your own voice and your own expression and your own um, methods and process and materials is extremely important. Life is just too short. So 
um, that's how I sort of have looked at the last 10 or 12 years is that this is my time. This is my time to pursue what I want. There's a lot of things I want to say. Um, and um, that's the direction I've taken with both my art and my education. And I also found when I came down here and I sort of fell into teaching that I was good at it. Mm-hmm. So um, um, that, I don't know why that surprised me because I seem to have been in a teaching role now that I reflect back on it. Um, with raising kids or in the jobs that I that I had, I ended up being a, a creative director and things like that. And that's a mentorship role, so it's not an, a big leap for me to go into teaching. But I really, really enjoy it um, in the in the fine arts departments that I've worked in because it sort of juices me up. There's a synergy that's created between me and the students, and vice versa. That sort of helps give me ideas or or just get me excited about things so that when I walk into my own studio, I'm already ready to go. Sure. Just to talk specifically about the work um, for a little bit here, I, I know that's you know, primarily um, how I found out about you. I think I said, um, you know, as we were setting this up, that I saw your work online. And so, you know, it's something interesting now, especially to be able to be connected with so many so many people that I'm not next door to, but in terms of uh, uh, drawing, drawing, and um, you know things of that nature. I mean, how did you, how did you get into painting, and you know what were you interested in uh, painting and drawing from? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Is there like a a trajectory, or or is it something that's uh, developed over time? Or well, the tra- there's much more of a trajectory with the painting part of it than the drawing part of it. The drawing to me is like. Uh, what people do when they write in journals. I never not draw. I'm always drawing something. Um, my husband has a stack of my doodles somewhere in a box. He, he, he rescues them from the trash bin. So um, drawing is something mm-hmm. that I, I find to be uh, relaxing and, and intimate, and it helps to lead me into things that I want to talk about in my artwork. Now, painting, on the other hand... Um, of course, you bubble up traditionally if you you know you go through school. And I originally um, started off with watercolors back in the day, and I've been doing that for a long time, decades. And then I got into oil painting, and I never was very happy with um, sort of the traditional kind of oil painting and uh, building up layers and in that sense of the word. And I went to uh, very quickly into impasto, heavy. Uh, fingers and knives and kind of scraping into the surface. And I found that I was really interested in the surface and um, where in my undergraduate program, I couldn't understand the idea of collage. When I got down here to Charlotte, they had a big retrospective on Romare Bearden that I saw at the Mint Museum. And all of a sudden it clicked for me and I got into massage. I mean, sorry, (laughs) got into collage. Um, Um, for the few years, and um, it was there that I started to really uh, be constructive and destructive with the surface, and um, I found that the materials and the surface were really important for me because I have a tendency to be very narrative about my work. There's always a story attached to it, and um, having the surface and those layers and being uh, building them up and taking them back down to so it was underneath them seemed to be an important part of that process. But it wasn't until I got into graduate school um, where I had recently seen several shows at um, in Asheville, one of which was a uh, encaustic show. And 
that I really got intrigued by the surface that using encaustic medium provided. So when I went through my graduate program, that's what I focused my intentions on. And, and through that process, learned sure. a lot about um, layering. So the painting part of it evolved um, over time. The drawing is like um, love. It's like love. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I keep talking about my experience this past summer. Um, I, I just went out and wound up getting really interested in um, painting from observation, and, and I hadn't really hadn't really fallen in love with it in that same way that you kind of talk about. I think, um, but there's there's something to me that's so interesting about, and it might not just be the act of like sitting in front of something and trying to represent it, but just like uh, allowing the material to kind of um, develop. You know, your your idea and kind of change the, the direction of um, a drawing or, or something that you're working on. And it seems like in that sense, drawing serves as that vehicle or, you know, that act of kind of playing with, with materials and, and being able to, to see what they do. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you formulate uh, strategies in terms of uh, uh, painting? Is it something like, like you had kind of indicated that you maybe start out with uh, some, some idea or some way that you want to work and then build off from there? Or is it very technically planned out or? Well, it's sort of a, a happy medium between both ideas. When I was doing the 17 year stint as a graphic designer and had to plan and had to be really specific, I call it being anally creative. Um, I sort of was really happy to be introduced to encaustic and collage because there are what I call happy stances that occur. So as much as I plan something, um, I am not, I would have to say about 85% of the time that works. And then the rest of the 15% of the time, something happens. It's never quite the same. And so I have to respond to that um, risk-taking that occurs by using this particular material and the things that go with it. And um, what I found was, in particular, that... um, while I, I'm very much expressive and very much narrative in what I say, what I start off with is sort of uh, a concept. And since much of my work is, has to do with community and uh, the idea of memory and the idea of, of connection be- of stories of people's lives and the communities that they're in, and I sort of wrap that around an architectural reference um, it was it was very easy for me to start building layers of information into what I'm doing once I come up with a general uh, architectural reference that I'm working with. Like in this case, for the last few months, I've been working with the idea of, of barns or leftover structures um, uh, that have been abandoned or um, or have been repurposed in some way. So. Those are the kinds of imagery that I start off with in order to have a discussion about some aspect that uh, that uh, sort of corners what's going on in the community, especially here in North Carolina where a lot of things are changing. Small towns are changing. Communities are changing abruptly, and um, it helps me capture all that that's going on. And I think that's something that's very apparent in the work, too, the the way that especially the the image seems like um i don't know like there's areas that move uh in and out of of representation and abstraction or at least 
And again, I think I've, there's a lot of people that might consider representation and abstraction anyways, but, you know, just, just these uh, areas that become kind of more, more solid or architectural, like the way that you're describing, or even some of them that might even kind of like look like a fragmented interior, but then dissolve into, you know, like a, a washed out field. Um, exactly. Exactly. Well, I was really curious because um, I, when I, we had a residency at the Vermont Studio Center this past May, and um, as opposed to knowing more artists through that experience, I actually got to know uh, quite a few writers, and one of them introduced me to a book called Space and Place by, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but it's Yi Fi Tuan, and he's a, he's a geographer, um, mm-hmm. and he's now since retired, but his big thing was... Um, the relationship of space, he had wrote this book called Space and Place, and I'm going to read a little bit about something here because I thought it was important. But he considers the ways in which people feel and think about space and how they form attachments to home and neighborhood and nation and how they affect the, their sense of being and also affects the sense of time. And I find it curious that, especially right now, of course, it could happen any other time as well, that we have this sense of nostalgia as a whole. Uh, particularly Americans do about, mm-hmm. and we attach the nostalgic feelings to um, places, and within those places there are these spaces that we look at, and so um, they they create unexpected meanings when you when you reinvent or repurpose that imagery in order to have a discussion about that community or the people that live in that community, and so that's what sort of drives um, my artwork and I and because they're narratives I always do things in series so I just don't ever do one painting or one piece of art I do a number of pieces and each one um, embodies an aspect of that story or a chapter of that story that I'm talking about in that series and then um, it's funny when people come and they purchase a piece, they're worried about not purchasing the whole series. And I tell them, well, that's the next step of the metaphor. You're now developing a wider community of people who own parts of the series. And that makes the story go out even further. Are you interested in, in specific histories or working with, within certain themes in terms of, of each of the series that you work through then? You've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, there's some that are dealing with like water towers or the barns that you were mentioning earlier. Is it, is it something that can be affected um, just in, in terms of like kind of revealing a type of history about these places or is that something that's less important? No, there's actually, um, uh, I from my cultural background, um, my husband and I and my family were Jewish and and uh, several of the pieces that you might see on the website um, really have strong connections to some of our cultural history in the 20th century and, um, and bowled up um, from a couple of different places. One, our, polit- our current politics um, have a tendency to really kind of thrust in the forefront the idea of the marginalization of members of our community and sort of... Um, the gap that's created between the idea of us and them. Mm-hmm. And it brought me, you know, because these same things cropped up in the early 20th century that led to some of the horrific things that um, the world experienced. And I'm sort of dancing around <laughs> the concept, but really the truth of the matter is, is that some of the pieces that, um, that you might see in my village series, uh, the civilization series, the community series, they have direct reference to the Holocaust and they have direct reference to them. And 
um, in regards to how we look at ourselves and how we marginalize parts of our community. And when we do that, similar to what Ansel Kiefer says, we have a tendency to cut cut up our own communities in the process. If you think of our communities being a living body, um, and w- and by doing that, we sort of cut off our hand or cut off our foot, and there's a, a really detrimental effect um, on the whole of the community, not just the marginalized people. So there are bar- parts of my work that are very seriously, um, without slapping people in the face, I'm not one of those shock artists. So it's mm-hmm. it's a it's it's really pieces that are, are hopefully will. Um, engage people and have successfully seemed to engage people in a conversation about um, connections between the things that bring us together as opposed to the things that bring us apart. No, I I think that makes perfect sense. And I think also, you know, in in terms of just seeing the, the, the various bodies of work, it seems like something that allows you to really kind of explore different ways of, of working through through those ideas in terms of mm-hmm. what you might source. And also then, you know, allow more people to be able to read it. It's not, you know, just, just I guess, from one, you know, kind of particular viewpoint. But I guess at the same time, your work also feels very universal, you know, in terms of the way that it's not, well, it's not something that's supposed to shock you in that sense, but, you know, something that seems more inviting to, to ha- have somebody come and, and look at it and um, spend some time with it. Exactly. And the thing that is, is hard to see in digital imagery, especially when you have um, sort of the ephemeral qualities that encaustic lends itself to some of the work, is that you have quiet um, quiet spaces within the layers that you can see through, and the imagery sort of catches um, different people with different things about their own past or their own present or aspirations that they have. And it's very interesting when you have a show and people actually come to see the work, um, they have a tendency to see things themselves in the work and they begin to have a story. And I always tell um, my students, especially about the spaces in between the stories, you know, like we're coming up on Thanksgiving right now and you would get all families together. And when you get all your families together, you know, you have great uncle Jim start to tell a story and then, you know, Aunt Edna changes the story by saying, oh, but don't you, you forgot this part. And they add something to it. And then uh, the cousins are listening and they add their little piece. And if there's someone missing, someone else tries to add that piece to it. And it's those spaces that are trying to be filled that help um, create a continuity in that narrative. And so what I find in the artwork is those layers of wax and layers of imagery and layers of information do exactly the same thing. And when people come to see the work, they see different things in it and they turn to their partner or their companion or they'll have a conversation with themselves or with me and start to engage and start telling stories of their own that they think connect to the work and um, sort of continue that narrative, which is really important to me, they talk to each other, even if they're, you know, a raving teabagger and right, right. Um, a flaming liberal, all of a sudden they're having a conversation. And um, it's the dialogue that becomes really important to me. Um, and without having that shock value and without having, you know, the idea of some sort of redemption going on in the story or, or, or an accusatory position of the artwork, people are able to enter into that narrative and have that discussion and sort of connect. 
And that's what I enjoy. And that's why I do it. I'm curious too, then in terms of materials, is that something that kind of also lends itself in there? Because I've noticed there's some that, that include um, more mixed materials, or I, I want to say I thought I'd, I'd read something about found materials as well. Yes. Um, but I also think that um, it's important in my work, and I go back and forth, sort of vacillate between the collage elements. Someone told me that I use a lot of bricolage, and that may be true, because there are some pieces um, that are like collage on steroids, you know? Um mm-hmm. I want to push the work off the wall. I, I don't want to be a sculptor necessarily. I want to sort of have that book feeling to it, but I want it to be like when you were sitting down as a kid reading a good book on back before we had all this other electronic stuff and you sort of got into the book, the whole other world went away. And I want to create that same environment with the artwork. So I push it out and I use found materials to do that because I find that, um, it has an integrity to the artwork and the idea of having um, detritus or detritus, the human detritus, the things that are left behind um, plays well with the idea of connecting to memory, creating a sense of timelessness to um, making it personal because people can relate to it as opposed to, you know, being very pristine. And I, I don't worry about the edges of my artwork um, either whether it's really flat and two-dimensional or whether it's on panels and being pushed out for the same very reason. I want it to be sort of this, this sort of dichotomy between the past and the present going on, and that seems to lend itself. That kind of um, three-dimensionality on a two-dimensional surface seems to lend itself to that timeless feeling yeah and I, I think it's i think it's interesting to 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 think about it like that and especially something that you know on on my personal level is something that is very close to i guess the way that i think about things but is is time something that might be i don't know something of interest or at least maybe something that people bring up because i think you know that that timelessness or that way of kind of I don't know, breaking down something in terms of uh, something very specific, like this is set in a very specific period of time, is something that I don't really get a sense of. It's it's hard to place them, you know. It seems like it seems like again maybe something that we've kind of talked about already. Then, but you know, something where the the viewer is um, left to kind of figure out, I guess, their relationship to it in terms of time. I I, I, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense, and that's exactly what's going on. Now, there sometimes I have much more specific imagery in place. There's a series called Urban People, which I did when I was in residence at the McCall Center for Visual Art here in Charlotte. And um, I'm pretty, there's still, I'm still pretty creatively anal. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a schedule where I go in every day and work because um, it, in my mind, it helps to legitimize for people who don't understand art that I'm going to work. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to have fun, even though those things might be happening, I'm going to work. So I get up in the morning and I'm driving into Charlotte from Matthews and it has a, Charlotte's a very funny little, little city, big town kind of atmosphere to it. The city's about six blocks wide and uh, long and four blocks wide. And as I drive up to it, we call it the uptown area, the sun was hitting it, and I'd get this explosion of color on all these reflective glass buildings. But as I drove through the city, in particular, it was 
the summer of 2012 before the Democratic Convention. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of um, people there that uh, had come for the event or were protesting. They had Occupy Charlotte there. And it's amazing, but at the very end of Tryon, which is the main road that goes through the uptown area, it's the main stri- drag, and McCall is situated at the very end of the that end of the city, Urban Ministries is also there. So Urban Ministries is, is is the outreach program for a lot of the homeless that are in Charlotte. So it was I was being impacted and influenced by um, all these uh, modern buildings and um, sort of a disregard for the older architecture, which was a direct reflection on the people that were in the community. If you were part of the uh, young urbanite, you had the your condos and your BMW is coming down because it's the second biggest, largest financial center in the United States. But then bipolar, on the flip side, you had the Occupy Charlotte and you had the homeless and you had um, the one percenters who were going down and protesting. And so this kind of imagery that I was being... Um, sort of thrusted into on a daily basis for four months, that piece of work came out of it. So that Urban People series was a direct reflection on, you know, seeing the sort of two sides of a coin every day for four months. Um, and so that's very specific to a community in a period of time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I can see that in the work. I'm, I'm curious, too. You know, in terms of specifically, you know, some of these pieces, How what's the process like in terms of, um, the layering. And again, you've kind of mentioned this a number of times, but it looks like there's some photographic kind of references or areas that are much kind of, I don't know, they look like they've been machine kind of or, or reproduced rather than like reproduced by hand. Is is that something that's also? Well, actually, that's an interesting question because all of it's produced by hand. What looks like to be photographic images are my photography that I put on fibrous materials and implant into the surface of um, the wax. And I sort of, it's sort of a, a process where I, uh, I sort of start to choose about how many pieces I need to tell the story, and I build them up to a certain point, and then each piece starts to take on a life of its own. Mm. I also love, what I love about the encaustic is that what you'll see in those pieces as well as drawings because I can, I can, uh, encaustic really accepts graphite and really accepts charcoal very well. And I, I can draw the imagery that I want and then press it into the surface of the wax and it will accept that. And so I get to have that, I get to have my cake and eat it too. I get to draw, paint, collage, and even sculpt to a certain extent onto the surface of the wax to build the kind of story that I want to tell. Sure. Well, and, and so, you know, aside from just uh, maybe the subjects, how do you keep things fresh, I guess, in, in terms of working? I mean, it, it seems like you are you work a lot. So, I mean, I, I would imagine that that's, <laughs> that's one thing. But is that something that allows you to really jump from a different series uh, right into another series? Or do you have multiple series going on at the same time? I usually have multiple series going on at the same time. I'm sort of ADD uh, or maybe hyperactive. And what happens is, <laughs> what happens is, is that um, 
I'll be working on a piece or a series and, and, and it's really cliche to say it, but I might dream about something else or I, or I might have some sort of epiphany driving the car, which I do a lot of. And when that happens, I sometimes have to let go of the series I'm working on so that I can sort of grab the tiger by its tail and, and work out what appears to be something that's really an intuitive response to a bunch of stimuli that I'm experiencing, both with the pieces of work that I'm working on now and whatever's happening around me. And um, I think that's important too. But there are times when I, like in any other, you know, in any career field that you have, especially artists, you, you're taking a lot out of yourself emotionally um, and physically to do the work and you get sort of burnt out. So um, happily, I went to, again, I went to Vermont this past May and I decided not to bring any caustic with me. And I started to work on this series of barns and barn-like images and barn, barn-like architectural references, which have been, um, entirely two-dimensional mixed media gouache and drawing. And with some overlapping between the encaustic and that's sort of, it's like, you know, having, sherbet between courses of a meal it sort of clears your palate or clears my palate enough so that um i can let things bubble in the back of my head and work out problems um uh, through the process the creative process that i have in order to come up with other ideas but that's kind of where i'm at right now i'm I'm doing a lot of mixed media two-dimensional work in one variety or another um between the primarily using encaustic medium as a, as a means for making that story happen or changing that up. But either way now, what I found is I'm including more and more drawing into my work, whether it's encaustic or whether it's a two-dimensional, very flat gouache work and mixed media. There's a lot of drawing going on, and I'm starting to really accept the fact that this is a, a real integral part of who I am and what I have to say. And specifically with with drawing, I mean, is it something where you will, I guess, kind of work up ideas or kind of sketches of something? Is it something that you'll actually look up and research in terms of informing a drawing? Or is it, again, like you talked about it earlier, too, as being kind of like a, a journal as well. So I'm, I'm trying to imagine, you know, how that impacts some of the other work. And you've described it a little bit, but, but I mean, is it something where you might then just spend an afternoon working out some particular type of drawing or like some technique or some way of kind of capturing something that you're going to put into a, a, an encaustic painting or another work? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I do. Um, and, and many times what I start off with is not what I end up with. But um, there's a lot of experimentation going on right now and trying to figure out what has been interesting to me is that the encaustic is now informing the drawing because I'm finding that I can create a sense of of layering um, that maybe I just wasn't open to before. Um, that I am now very excited about, that I try to, um, one of the things that I've um, actually just started to experiment with is silver point and including that in the painting that I'm doing. And, and it's, it's, a, it's again, a, a sort of a medium media that's not very forgiving. So I have to live with whatever it is that I do with it. And that's really good for me to do because I could get easily trapped into the illustrative um, nature that I have um, 
and I don't want to lock myself into that. I want to, I, I, I try very hard. It's something I teach my students. It's something I try to practice not to be completely married to what mm-hmm. I do so that, um, it's, a, it's always a learning process. It's like, telling a story and and you know sometimes it's got a good ending and sometimes it doesn't and so um it's it's the whole process is part of that and I guess I hadn't really thought about it before but it's it's part of that narrative that I create is my experience of actually making the artwork so it's some of it's planning um and some of it, a lot of it lately has been experimentation to see if it's going to work and trying not to listen to the outside voices that say, oh, no, don't do that. Right, You're going right. to ruin it. You're going to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so what? <laughs> so what if I ruin it? You know, so that's that's what I'm, I've been I've been grappling with. Well, and I know we've talked a little bit about layering and, and some different materials, but it's also something like um, working on panel versus working on paper. Is that also something that winds up affecting that? Or is that just something that maybe affects how, like how much you can layer over the top of something? Well, what's really interesting is I, I do love panels. Um, I love panels, but I love paper more. And I've, I'm, I'm drawn right now. Lately, the encaustic work has been done on um, 300, 400 pound paper that I will gesso. Mm -hmm. And so I can create a barrier between the organic qualities of the wax um, and and try to keep it somewhat archival because it would it would eventually um, destroy the paper. So and create seeing how much I can push that substrate to support the work that I'm doing on top of it. And and then, of course, you have presentation issues that you have to think about. my my next goal is just to really get a lar- the largest, heaviest piece of paper that I could get and and build an encaustic project on it, um, and to see if I can get it to survive the process. But that's all part of it. That's all part of the experimentation. But I find that using organic with organic with organic works for me, and um, it's I. It's sort of an integrity thing with both materials and process and and narrative, you know. And um, I work to keep that going, that kind of energy going in, in, in when I'm in the studio. It makes me think of that when you're talking about, um, you know, the scale and, and especially the scale of, uh, you know, working large on, on large paper. It seems like generally a lot of the work is is kind of um, more of like an intimate scale, or at least like a, a smaller scale, as opposed to even the the ones that you're recently talking about, the ones from your residency at um, uh, Vermont Studio Center, which are I think uh, two feet by about three feet. Yeah. What's I mean is is that something that also plays a, a role in it? Yes. It's it it actually I I actually force myself if I've been working in one particular scale for a while to go to the other extreme because they present different ways of thinking about the space. And because I talk about space, working on space is really important. And um, it presents me with some amazingly frustrating problems when I'm trying to say something that I've been very effective doing, you know, like the Village series is something like, what, 48 by 36 inches each piece. And so, um, which is the largest, well, no, I have one more piece that's like, 60 inches by 36 inches and they're all on panels and um 
I find that when I've been working successfully at such a large area with, you know, having to grapple with a lot of negative and positive space and figuring out um, how to make it work between each of the pieces in the series. And then I make myself go to something as small as, you know, eight by 10 or nine by 12. Um, I'm presented with a whole host of issues, you know, how to remove what, how much can I remove from what I'm talking about and still tell the story, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And, and then when I find that I've been successful, finally getting into a smaller, um, frame of reference or substrate, then I make myself go very large again because now I say, Oh my God, how am I going to do with all this space? You know, sure, sure. it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. <laughs> well, I like that. You know, it seems like, it seems like something that, and again, I, I feel like I've got a little experience to speak of just because I, I feel like I've talked to so many artists that um, have all sorts of different, um, I was going to say neuroses, you know, in terms of the way that they work, <laughs> the sound yeah. of their voice and things like that. But I, I, I mean, it seems like that idea of trying to challenge the way that you work is something that's inherently like built into that process. And, and I don't know, I, th- I think it's something like, again, as, as someone like myself, I mean, I work in series as well, but at the same time, I think there's something that can kind of, um, I don't know, grow out of some doing something a bit different or, you know, changing it up. So it, it seems like that's something that's also, you know, very, um, very much a part of it. But the, at, again, at the same time, allows you to really um, pursue what you want to pursue, which is, I think, something that you said at almost the very beginning of this interview, you know, in terms of really going after and doing what you want to do. Right. And and it's really important for me. And it's an issue that I grapple with all the time because it's so easy to, in my mind, to cop out and to, um, you know, I I see a lot of art and and we all have strong opinions about art that we think works and doesn't work. But uh, I think it's a cop out just to not think about it, even if it's, you know, simple color fields or or color abstractions or whatever it is that someone's working with, but not to think about it in terms of you and how you connect with that work and how you express yourself through that work to me is a cop out. So I want to, I want to keep it fresh. I look for reasons and ways to do that, to keep pushing and, and not worry about, um, the little voices inside my head, as well as the little voices outside my head telling me, don't do it. You know, you know, I don't want to worry about that. Sometimes I go, I'll take all the questions out. If I find I'm dealing with, for instance, content, I'll say, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of work. I'm giving myself 12 hours to do it. Um, the work's going to go on a piece of paper the size of, you know, 20 inches by 30 inches. I'm only using these tools to do it. And then I just go to town and whatever comes out of that comes out of it. But I've taken all the other stuff out. And now I'm just dealing with content. And or I might say I have a content idea that that's really important. Um, and then I just grapple with the idea of the content and the imagery involved with it. And I and. Don't worry about anything else. That's the problem that I'm working with or the material or whatever it may be that, it, that, what, that I'm trying to grapple with. I sort of do the mentorship thing to myself and, and assign myself ways to break out of that, ways to resolve those issues so that I can go on and produce the work. And it would be easy for me to show, uh, I don't know, if I was doing a Holocaust piece, s- stack human forms and and dog cows sure, and sure. things like that and 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 miss 
and miss the story, miss the story as a result. It's not that those things aren't important. It's just that if you want to engage in a conversation and it want, you want it to be your conversation with other people, you have to dig a little bit deeper than that. Well, and is that something too? And again, maybe this is a little bit kind of a, a out there question, but is, is that something that you feel like you're either like on the on the right path in terms of, I don't know, being clear in the way that you're thinking about something or approaching like a new body of work? Or is that something that you've learned over time? Um, I've learned over time. I tried, I had a really great mentor when I was going through my graduate program. And one of the, he's British. <laughs> so he had a very strange sense of humor. But um, one of the things he used to say to me all the time was, well, this is such a lovely little gem, you know, and he'd be pointing to like a two by two inch square of a four by a four foot painting. And, mm-hmm. and he'd say, you really ought to, you know, keep searching out, refining that. And, the, and that idea of refinement and looking for those gems sort of became ingrained. So I always find and I always say to, you know, I was studio mate and um, my students and the peers that I hang out with and other artists is that um, everything informs everything, you know, and when you're doing something on one project, it something will catch your eye or something, there's to be some sort of kinetic memory going on as you're working that piece out that sort of reminds you about something else. And so I try to capture those things to keep that story going, that narrative going with my own work outside of, you know, venues and public discussion just to make that happen and refine, keep refining, you know, looking for those gems that, you know, and you always know, I mean, you're an artist as well. You always know when you've reached that point, it, it, this sort of, it feels like I told, um, it's sort of like having the Thanksgiving meal. You feel full, mm-hmm. you feel full. Like you just had a really good meal and you know, it's right. And that's, that's the feeling I'm looking for when I'm telling that story. I know, I know deep down inside that moment where I just had that good meal and if it's telling the story it needs to tell, I've refined that little gem. What what are you working on currently, and um, what what is going on? Uh, I guess in your studio practice, uh, exhibition practice that uh, you're excited about. Well, I'm really excited. I, I have a two person show coming up at a community college here, which I'm going to introduce this new work for the first time to the public. So I'm a little uh, both excited and I'm a little nervous about that. But I have a, a one. Of a solo show, and I'm a guest artist at St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas, in the fall. And I'm I'm really excited by that because I think that I'm going to. I'm pretty sure I'm creating. This is a step. This new work here is a step to a larger group of work that I'm going to do for that show. And though I don't know exactly yet what I'm going to do, um, it's a very exciting to me to get ready for that. And uh, again, I got a grant to go to uh, the Vermont Studio Center in May, and I'm going to take that opportunity to um, sort of limit my distractions of home and hearth and concentrate on that. So those are the things that are coming up that I'm particularly um, charged up about. Well, it's uh, excellent, and it's, again, great to, to know that you've got things coming up to just, um, I don't know, figure out a new path for a bit, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. There's the other stories to tell. <laughs> Well, thanks again for uh, taking the time today to talk with me. And again, it's a pleasure to, to learn more about your work and, and to uh, meet you virtually uh, through microphones and technology. Well, that's, uh, thanks. I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you. 
Thanks again to Pam for joining us, and please go check out our website, PamelaWeingard.com. If you're interested in finding out about me, your host, please check out my website, davidlinaway.com. Again, there's a hyperlink right on the Studio Break page, so it's super easy. If you're listening this over the Black Friday dreaded shopping weekend, you'll find that I have some uh, rather unique offers for the plein air paintings that I have up there. So please go ahead and check them out, as well as other works. If you're kind of in a research mode or you just want to discover some other artists that we have on Studio Break, please remember we have a lot of archives. There's a ton of episodes on Studio Break. Again, each of those have slideshows, links to the artist's websites, and full interviews giving insight into their studio practice. So please go ahead and check them out. Again, if you know anybody that would be interested in listening to any of these podcasts or might enjoy the blog, please share it. Once again, we are on Facebook. So please like our page, and we are on Twitter at Studio Break, so please go ahead and hit us up there. Once again, we are on iTunes, and we have our podcast available there for free, so please subscribe, and again, if you happen to like it or think other people would like it, please leave us some comments, some feedback. Again, it just generally helps with visibility for other people out there who are podcast junkies who like Bad at Sports, or This American Life, or Radiolab, or sound opinions or the moth or whatever so please leave us some feedback again it just helps us get a little bit more visibility and uh, others that are interested in listening to artists discuss their studio practice so please help us out all right that's all the interview that we have this week we'll talk to you real soon